Alright, Marky. We're gonna uh, fire up the hotline again. Uh, the House of the Rising or the Land of the Rising Sun. Uh, we're talking to Mike Ersing in China today. Michael, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm great, thanks. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy to be on the show. You guys do a great job. Uh, Mike Thanks, comes via West Seneca West 2002, uh, influenced in music, went, went Genesee College, Bonaventure, uh, started playing guitar when he was 12, Mark, and now he's making music in China. You started playing music when you were, tw you were uh, 12 years old, and what were your, yeah. some of your uh, early influences here to be a, an artist? Well, remember that I was 12 when I say this, but my first influence was the, besides my dad, my dad was always playing and singing and he had a great voice. He was a great singer, but uh, he played kind of like these rowdy, a little bit raunchy folk songs that he would <laughs> sing. I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know where he would learn them, where he would find them, but you know, some really classics, Acapulco Goldie and Redneck Mother. And now I know those songs and it's fun to play them. Um, <clears throat> but beyond that, my, uh, first experience with wanting an electric guitar was the album Dookie by Green Day. I had to oh, learn yeah. all the songs on it, you know. So it's that that was what really got me going with the electric guitar. And that was nineteen ninety four. Jumping around my room. Nineteen ninety four was a great yeah. year for music, man. So much good music. Yeah, yeah. So I guess so. I guess I was around uh, ten or eleven when I really started playing. But my first band was when I was 12. What was the name of that band? Morning Wood. <laughs> I was 12. I was 12. <laughs> and it's... Uh, how did and somewhere, that name? And I mean, uh, I just, I thought it was funny. You know, I was 12. I was an idiot. I thought, wow, this is hilarious. It's a first, first, first playing with words, innuendo. The the, the future lyricist. <laughs> His first band is Morning Wood, but yeah, it was just me and a drummer, and, and the drummer was really cool. He was 16, and he could play, and we would just play for hours, hours, hours. And yeah, that's that's when I first started really writing songs on paper and playing them. So from from time to time, you're bouncing around, you're meeting other bands, you're meeting other people who are, uh, you know, on the same level as you. Because a songwriter is a different kind of person. Well, um, you know, our neighborhood is full of songwriters. When we were growing up, we were all songwriters. I mean, Mark's a songwriter. I was, I'm a songwriter. Uh, all of our friends are songwriters. It kind of is like a, a thing that I think we all take for granted. But being from South Buffalo, is it's, it's kind of like... Um, it is, it is a uh, what's a, what's the word I'm looking for? This is great. That's going to be edited out. But it's like a it's a cauldron. It's a cauldron. South Buffalo is a cauldron of young songwriters. So every everybody was a was a songwriter when I was growing up. And you know, you're, there's always the as a kid, as a real little kid, I had a, a like a competition. Right, I, me and a guy named Bill Locking, who you guys both know, started writing songs at the same time. And Bill, Billy and I would always show each other our songs. And, and I knew if it was good because Billy would say, did you write that? And I would say, yeah. And he would say, no, you didn't. <laughs> and that's how, I knew my, that's how I knew my song was good. And, Billy is real, and Billy's so. very talented. He's still playing. And I hear some of his stuff sometimes. I love his voice. You know, he's, it, yeah, yeah. He's, it's something that like, I, I, I showed a song of yours to Billy Fulton the other day. And he goes, wow, he sounds like really refined, like. You you guys were like mastering your craft. It's it's really cool at a young age too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing is, when you're doing something at the same time as all your friends, you don't really know that uh, it's that you're young or that it's. I only knew if I was if I was doing it well, you know, in comparison with everybody else. But everybody else was already doing it well, so I always wanted to do it a little bit better than everybody else was doing it. You know, and that's and that's how everybody was. So you get good at something when you when you're in that kind of thriving, um, friendly competition. 
What's Mike Gersing's first gig? Do you remember your first gig? My first gig. I remember my. I remember certain shows, right? So I remember my first show in New York City. It was um, on Christmas Eve, and and it was it was so fun. Uh, I played in this this basement of this bar, and I remember the band didn't really um they didn't stick around the first band but they left their drums on the set so i was jumping around with my guitar and smashing the cymbals with the head of my guitar and like singing really crazy i didn't use a mic and it was really really fun and then i and then a couple from i had no place to stay and a couple from queens invited me to stay on their couch so it's really cool i've i've seen it a couple times it's funny that you say that about the microphone. I think I've seen you a couple times where you're not using a microphone. Yeah, you would. You'd almost like shock people. They're like, "What is he doing up yeah. there?" <laughs> well, you know when you're when you're when the when the jet is taken off, it burns the most fuel. <laughs> so you, you know you want to. For me, it was I I I had a partner when I played. I always played best with one other person. And my first partner was that I was really, really serious about after Tom with a guitar was Max Leatherbrow. And we used to play such beautiful music, like the most musical um, music that I had made up until recently was with Max. And we would make this beautiful music. And then Max, something happened. Max had to concentrate on school. We got kind of separated by college and things happened like this. And um, then I was playing by myself. And so... It was. It felt a little bit weird, like you're kind of exposed or naked or something. So, for me, the way to push through that is to is to do it in a violent, explosive manner that it, it causes shock and is a bit outrageous. I, I think that was that, the way for me to break through the ice. I think. That. I think that with Max is when you um, kind of went to the book with music, though. I think that's when you like started doing a lot more scales and getting really more technical with your skills. I remember you like always, yeah, that's true. You would you would go and get books and you'd be working on scales and saying like how you wanted to be a master and like I think Max drove you to do it. He was a big fish guy, you know. So Max, yeah, well, Max well, was technical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very true. And actually, Max gave me the first scale book. And um, that probably yeah, changed, he's the one who gave that, that changed to me. the way you played forever. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Playing with Max really, like I was talking about before, this kind of friendly competition. But with Max, it was almost like I was always trying to keep up with him because he was so, so talented. And I mean, he's talented in a lot of different things. If you guys don't know who Max is, Max is the head. Max is one of the chefs at the Blackthorn. And this guy sits in a kitchen and he is like a master wizard. He is. He plays the drums. Yeah, he's. And he plays the guitar. Like, it, it, you wouldn't believe it if you see it. You know, if you talk to him, you're like, no, this is. He's very, very talented, and he won't show anybody. Actually, uh, for the longest time, he was the best guitar player that I had ever seen, um, of any band ever, and that's how I really, really felt truly. And then I, when I moved to Soul, now in Soul, Soul has a thriving music scene that is brimming over with the most talented people you can ever meet and it is so competitive that you you learn to focus on your own thing and do your own thing and become the best at your own thing because there's no way you can do what anybody else is doing everybody is so unique and gifted and it's an incredible environment for an artist and it was by far for me the most creative and uh, explorative time in my life as an artist for sure but in Insole, I met this amazing guitar player named Jumo. And Jumo is like, I, you know, when people, I don't like to say this because people say, oh, that's disgusting when they mean like it's so beautiful and good. But Jumo is so good that you you almost cannot process it when you see him play. It's it's like you, you it's like your eyes can't even see it almost. It's it's so incredibly good that uh, there's nothing to compare it to. The only thing to do is go to Seoul and see Jumo play. And he's super humble about it. But Mike, this is how I and, feel uh, about yeah. when people go see you. Like, I have a I have a buddy, my buddy Greg, he came to your last show. You did it on, uh, 
uh, where was it? Somewhere on Elmwood here, like off Allen. I don't know. It was a little. Oh, the modeling place. factory. Yeah. And I brought him and like he left and he had this big smile on his face and he was laughing. And I was like, and I was like, what? And he's like, he's like, what did we just see? He's like, what? He's like, what? Where did you just bring me? I was like, I was like that. I was like, That's my friend Mike, and he's like, and I, I kept telling him like, no, he's like, so, so, so goddamn talented that like that's how you should feel, you know. It, it, it's, it's bizarre <laughs> that you say you mentioned somebody just like yourself. <laughs> and you, I appreciate that, Mark. You really you know, keep thank you. being creative, and there's, I've heard you uh, incorporate choirs into your music and different groups yeah, of yeah. people talk talk about that a little bit how that comes to be okay well when i was in buffalo i i had i brought a beautiful southern belle that i was engaged to for five and a half years and mark you met her and i Jim, Jane, you met yeah. her too her name was janie and i wanted her to feel very comfortable in buffalo because she wasn't used to the the cold and um i wanted to show her that buffalo was full of beautiful people so i i started having these uh, little parties and that developed into um, a, a band and there ended up being 15 or 16 of us and that playing with a big group of people and being together in a moment of ecstasy uh, a kinetic explosive ecstasy is there's nothing else like it and uh, for me I try to bring that into the recording studio whenever I can because I love the ambiance of people's voices, people's ideas, people's little expressions. Somebody clears the throat, somebody laughs funny. And laughter is one of the most musical things you can hear. It's the most beautiful thing, and it, and it, and it exists in every uh, part of the world, and it doesn't require language. So these little things like this um, make playing with a big group of people. I like to mix the group, too. I like to have some people in the session who are musicians and who know exactly what they're doing and other people who are just kind of there and they kind of let themselves be pulled along by the moment. So, you know, and I like them to sing. I mean, we skipped way far ahead. You guys recorded in uh, Charleston, right? Or where were you guys recording? Well, I recorded. So I recorded my first, like my first album I recorded in my room. And that album was called God Brains versus the Eradicated Darkness. And that was, I recorded that in my room for my friends to listen to in their special moments by themselves and think and laugh and be like, whoa, this is wild. This is crazy. How did he do that? That's all I wanted was my friends to listen to something that they could really listen to and go, wow, how did he do that? That's amazing. But because that was my goal and my friends at that time were so such inspired individuals that the album got a little bit of press and some notice uh, for being kind of extraordinary or bizarre, which was, a, which was, at the time for me was a huge compliment <laughs> and very exciting. And that's how I started playing in New York. So yeah, let's go back a little bit. You go, you go to Bonaventure, you go to Honolulu for school as well. Like in, in all these places. Yes. I went to, I went to Honolulu. Like, cause you were playing, you were setting us up shows, us up shows in Bonaventure, you know, like you were like trying to do whatever you yeah, could to yeah. like, bring people there. I mean, the Tragically Sith. Yeah, the Sith went and played a show in Bonaventure. It was actually like the most money we, we've ever made. As you Best as our, band ever. As our promoter. Um, <laughs> you promoted that show for That was us. fun, huh? Yeah, I mean, uh, but like talk about, uh, you know, how uh, you tried to make a business out of it while you were here, before you went anywhere. I, you know, when I was in halfway through my senior year, my parents moved out to the country market, you know that. Right. And, uh. That, that gave me like a sense of displacement. But being a, away from all of my friends and my normal activities kind of um, nurtured this, the creative impulse. And I was doing so many, I was like prodigiously just creating all these things. I mean, my sister and I, we made movies together, ridiculous movies uh, that were just for us to watch. And uh, I, I wrote tons of letters. You remember I did that thing? with the letters where I wrote over 300 letters in one summer, all random to people. Um, now th this is a good project. Actually, I, I, I want to talk about this. So it was kind of like I went through a little bit of an existential crisis because we all know that feeling of when you turn about 21 and 22 and suddenly you realize that life might 
get boring. Now, that's the furthest thing from the truth because life does never get boring. Life is unpredictable and chaotic and a mess and it's wonderful. But when you're 21 or 22, suddenly you, you worry that you're going to be for me, I had this vision that I was going to be dropped in this in this kind of tube. And in the tube, I was going to struggle to stay awake, you know, struggle to be aware of myself, struggle to to be aware of the things that bring me joy and, and bring peace and, and wonder into my mind. And I was going to fight and I was going to fight and I was going to fight. And then at some point, there was going to be somebody younger drop behind me. And I wasn't going to know how warped or damaged I had become until I looked back and became one of the warping and damaging factors for the person behind me. And so I thought this was happening to everybody and it, it frightened me. So what I wanted to do to solve this was to give something unexpected to the world, something beautiful and unexpected. And the best way to do that in my mind at that time was to write these kind of random, uh, I think mine was non specific love letters. I think mine was on like a, a part of a cereal box. I think you were writing yeah, anything you right, could. Right. <laughs> yeah, any anything I could find. It was National Geographic papers. I had these like uh, different colored pens that I would layer on top of each other, and I was using a kind of like gel ink that would like glow in the dark, and it would I would mix the colors together, and I, I, re I went really completely manically focused into this thing, and um, I sent over three hundred of them, and eventually I was forced to stop doing this. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? <laughs> well, you know, I, so what I, what I realized, what I realized is from that I had all of these addresses of my friends that I grew up with stored kind of just in my consciousness, the same way that we remember these old phone numbers, right? We're the last generation who, A2 who has, who has these phone numbers memorized. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I had all these addresses from when I used to wander around and I thought, okay, well, I got all these addresses and I'm going to mail all these letters to all these people that I know. And, um, one and everybody, and, and my goal was, is that people are going to start talking about them and they're going to be excited and it's going to bring some wonder and mystery into their life. And they're going to, they're going to be happy and they're going to be talking about it in public. And then somebody they don't know is going to be at the other end of the bar, or the other, other side of the room. And they're going to go. What? I got one of those too. And they're going to make these new, new, beautiful, inspired friendships that are going to, that are going to change the way that they look at the world. It's going to remove some sadness from the world. Yeah. Right. And it was working. It was actually working. And, but turns out one of the people that I send it to was, uh, actually is, I think he's a little bit clinically ill, mentally ill. And he got really paranoid and he actually, seriously called the fbi and um yeah the fbi doesn't that that was that put an end to it i remember that property it was like beautiful it was it was very cool yeah yeah it was it was my my half brother lives there now he owns that place now he bought it from my mom oh i'm so glad it's in the family um that's awesome yeah me too me too and he's doing a, he's doing a really good job of 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 bringing some life and some uh happiness to that place and it's really cool he, he's done some interesting things where he put like a, a new like space age chicken coop in there and they've got cows and and horses and all, the, all kinds of stuff that's great for him well you're you're being very you want to get into korea you're, you're very you're being very creative uh in the states and you've decided now it's time to go to the far east and uh be creative in korea how do you decide it's time for me to go to korea so that's a good that's a really good question because why korea right um i didn't really know anything about korea but um my girlfriend at the time her sister lived there with her husband who was a lieutenant in the air force so i South Korea, yeah. And so at that time, I was touring around the United States extensively when I lived in Charleston. I was touring all the time, all over the United States. I toured all over the United States and all over Canada. And um, it was, I was seeing, I was meeting a lot of people and I was starting to get a bad taste in my mouth. I played South by Southwest and man, what an amazing experience uh, to meet all of these artists that I respect and admired. Also, um, 
I, I, I was seeing so much of America in its, in a, in its kind of its, its psychological underbelly, you know, and the country is so beautiful. And I, and I, I was introduced into these amazing communities of people taking care of each other and, and working on things together in these community gardens and, and the way that people have to learn how to support the people that they know. And that, that is something that we all have to do that we're kind of required to do in a community is you have to prop each other up. Um, otherwise the world can just crush you. And I saw, I saw these two extremes. I saw how Americans can really support each other. Um, stay, they stay generally inspired and active in the community in a positive way. I saw this and I love this. And this is, I don't care what anybody says. America is the best at this. And then also I saw how the absence of this causes a kind of decay. And so I wanted to experience something else. I want to know, is this, is this it? Like, is this, is this the way all of life is? These two um, kind of extremes, you know, one, the good extreme is only to prevent the bad extreme and there's nothing in the middle. So uh, I told my girlfriend at the time, I said, look, after you graduate college, I want to live somewhere else. I want to live in a different culture and I want to see the way that other people do it. I want to see how other people survive. So how other people make it, how other people live their lives. And so she said, how about Korea? And I started researching and I was like, wow, Seoul is amazing. It's like this future city, you know, it's like this amazing place that parts of it have heated sidewalks and there's like all kinds of you know, futuristic technology there and the way it has the fastest Wi-Fi in the world. And it's, it's just this throbbing, beautiful, young, vibrant, fashionable place loaded with art. And um, I was psyched. And I, I, knew, uh, I knew a promoter there, turns out, a friend of a friend. He promoted and developed big concerts there. So it was kind of like I had it in with music and um it looked like a cool place, and that's where I went. And three and a half months later, I was on TV in Seoul. <laughs> How is the car- concert atmosphere over in Korea? It's my favorite concert atmosphere uh, of of any city is in Seoul. The audience is so Koreans generally are very respectful. And Korean bands, Korean bands will come up to you and be like, "You're the best. I fucking love you," and they just they they throw positive support at you in a real masculine, unafraid way. And I love that. You know, I love this rev each other up. Like, yeah, like, let's do this. Let's do this shit. You know, let's fuck this shit up (laughs) and let's make something fucking awesome. You know? And, um, the, that's the audiences, the bands watch you, all the bands, they watch each other and they support each other. And there's, there's an atmosphere of this in Buffalo too, right now, especially. Um, but, that for me, that was like a whole new thing because when I was touring, you know, the bands, we all looked at each other like a little bit like competition and they would have to get drunk before they told you they thought you were good. <laughs> you know, they'd have to be drunk and then say, man, I just wanted to tell you like, that was fucking unreal. What I just saw you do. Like, I don't know how the fuck you do that, but that was great. And you got to wait till you got to wait till the host gets drunk before he compliments you or, you know, but, um, I, I love playing in the United States, and I played some of my favorite shows ever in houses and uh, in house parties and things like this. But in Korea, in Seoul, lots of people come to your shows. There, There is people from all over the world, and they all come to your show. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just awesome. So I, so I have this picture. You are sitting in the corner with this smirk. Yeah stringing a guitar that you you had once lost in korea yeah 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 do, do you still have that piece yeah i lost it at my favorite kimbap is it gone no uh that guitar was stolen from from me and so unfortunately i have another i use my dad's old guitar now it's gone forever and it has yeah and somebody did me that you know somebody i don't know if maybe i hope somebody's getting a lot of good use out of it because somebody took a metal plate and put yes, yes. I had this guy. He engraved it for me with a metal plate. Um, I, I guess if that's the word engraved. And that was like the uh, that was such an amazing gesture that somebody would take time to do that because they like something you make. 
they like something that you create. So they, they give you this gift of their own creativity that celebrates you. And there's nothing like a gift like that. So wherever it is, whoever has it, I hope that they're enjoying it because that has that guitar, that wood is living wood and it has absorbed a lot of sweat and blood over its time. I always so. thought you got it back. Now I'm like way sad I even brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's cool, man. Way to, way to go from the, the most positive energy <laughs> yeah, show know, that we've I'm had, Mark, to just... But Okay, well, then I'll bring it back up. I just actually heard a story about um, a guy who was working on a uh, Van Morrison album who got his guitar stolen. And he ended up dead. And I was like, man, well, that's really how me and Mike met. We, I, I remember we were at uh, the soccer field, and like you were listening oh, to like yeah. you were listening to like headphones, and I was like, "What do you listen to?" And you're like, "This," and I was like, "Oh man, I'm just listening to like Astral Weeks," and you're like, "Oh my god, yeah, I'm listen- I, I love that album," you know, and that and that was the album that yeah. that the guitar player was supposed to be um, playing on before he died. He was supposed to be playing on Astral Weeks. You should listen to the Disgraceland episode about wow. Van Morrison. Yeah. Wow. Well, I had no idea. That that album is phenomenal. It's the only Van Morrison album. Yeah, that album. We we both loved that album so much that it made us friends. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's 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 I mean, I always respected Mark because he was always doing something interesting. Anytime there was a group of people around, Mark was always doing something uh, unexpected. He he still and, and is. Not, not, he still is. He's sitting next to me. Yeah. It was it was a great it's great how music can do that. You know, isn't it isn't it amazing that that beautiful things like that bring people together in the way that they're supposed to? And then we shared some Thanksgivings together, and uh, we went on a trip together. We that's right. We drove to Maine because you were saying, you know, you had all these National Geographics. I remember you read a story about a whole <laughs> island, right. yeah. a whole island, and you're like, yeah, it's one of like it's really what Columbus discovered. We're gonna go there. We're gonna stay there a night. We drove all the way to Maine. We. <laughs> We Mike almost drowned. In pressing, we got lost in the mountains. Yeah, you almost, yeah we got lost in the mountains. You almost drowned in pressing women. We're like, yeah, we're just gonna swim out to the middle yeah, of the yeah. lake. Mike gets out there. He's like, hey, uh, I can't swim that good, Mark. I was like, what, <laughs> dude? He's trying to grab onto right, me. Yeah, I, right, I swam happened. in front of him. He's coming. To me. He's like, uh. we maybe did the dumbest fucking thing on the planet. We went and bought an eight lobster. We don't like wash our. We had no idea what to do with this yeah, thing. We're like, all right, yeah, let's go sleep in the woods. We stunk like lobster, like cooked, <laughs> buttered lobster. The wildlife oh around God. us, they we oh. almost got eaten by Was, bears. You were juicy. <laughs> we couldn't we couldn't sleep. <laughs> it was Jesus. it was so terrifying the sounds we were hearing. Guys yeah. did some wet naps. And then and then we. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the animals were were. Genuinely, we were terrified, and it's funny to think of that now. Well, we were we were actually shitting yeah. our pants in the middle of the woods. Let's let's get serious <laughs> here for a minute, there, Mike. So, sure, you're living in South Korea. There's a big uh, bad brother living in the north. Is that in the back of your mind right. when you're in uh, South Korea? Not a lot of South Polonians no, have I been was... in Korea, so you know. Well, you know, you know what was weird is I I randomly bumped into a drunken John Hartman and in, in the in a crazy neighborhood. What? He I just I was just I'm like, what the fuck? I look and it's John Hartman, drunker than a skunk, just like, and he's like, he's he's looking at me the same way because of course I'm I was a bit drunk too, and we're looking at each other and we're going, no way, is this is this happening? And John looks at me and he goes. Are you you? <laughs> and he goes, no fuck. He goes, he goes, no fucking way, Ursing. And he's like, Amanda told me you were here. And, and we had a we had a great time. It was fun to see him. But yeah, you know, when you're in South Korea, the whole time I was in South Korea, uh, there's there's a there's a thing called the Ministry of Unification. And North Korea has one, and South Korea has one, and they meet regularly at the at the um, at the uh, the DMZ. They meet regularly. So the whole time that I was there, there was talks that South Korea and North Korea were uh, going to, not only were they at peace, but they were negotiating becoming a single entity. So that was happening the whole time I was there. The, the news in the West was intentionally inflammatory, I think. 
uh, for whatever reason, it suited the, our government at that time to portray North Korea as a constant threat, which in fact they were not. Oh no, you you think you, so? So you're you're really not thinking that? Oh, I gotta watch it. You know, there's there's this guy could be a spy or anything like that because you hear that a lot out here. We lost him. He isn't online. Uh-oh, they got to us. <laughs> We're talking about North Korea and South Korea. like, clip. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it, boys. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I thought that was going well. Yeah, Dude, no, he's it's... Ch- he's chatty. Yeah. Dude, it's great. So, so Mike, when you're in when you're in Korea, there there really isn't a threat like it is portrayed here in the United States. That you, you don't feel threatened by them at all. No, uh, the only thing. So when I was there, there was the also the largest maritime naval demonstration was being done yearly, um, right off of the coast of North Korea. So. That would that would be the U.S. Navy forces doing this gigantic display of military power. North Korea was generally uh, kind of this. Uh, you, you know, you know. I don't want to say what North Korea is or is not because it, it's a complicated issue. And I know what I know from my personal experience from having lived in South Korea. But uh, there was definitely some tension, of course, and there was a huge military military presence of the United States there. Now, President Jane Moon has um, actually, one of his platforms in running was the removal of most, if not all, of the American troops. So we're going to see, we're going to see this situation develop, what North Korea's government is like when they're not being pushed against the wall, so to speak. So when I was there, they were more like um, you know, somebody who's being pushed against the wall and cornered and they can't really move or say anything because the moment that they do, they're in very serious trouble. There's very serious consequences. How do you how do you feel so, about you, you read about the consequences in Asia when, you, you know, you're doing one little thing? Uh, how is that in the back of your mind when you're when you're in that continent? That hey, I'm not in uh, on Columbus anymore. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah. you were you were deported from uh, you were deported from uh, Korea. Um, that that touches right, yeah. and, and you were and you had I listened was. you had listened to uh, James Crean's episode, and you you said like you're yeah, glad really like you said you said a lot a lot of good things about that. Yeah. Um, well, the thing is, is uh, I, I it's really bizarre to be a white American with a deportation story. I mean, let's just cut right to it, right? So I, I, was in, I was in South Korea and I overstayed my tourist visa. Okay, everything about this, uh, it's my opinion that people should be able to live wherever they want to live. Um, I don't know why these people in, the, in our governments are making these rules for us and taking our money and misspending our tax money and all this other stuff. I don't know, I don't know who these people think they are. But... Uh, that opinion was really solidified when I had all of my belongings, all of my things, all of the, the novels that I wrote, everything that I owned, my cats, you know, taken away from me suddenly and I was thrown into a cage. So when that happens to you, you don't like government anymore. <laughs> and you don't come back either from that. But the thing is, is that ended up resulting, I mean, because of paperwork. All this stuff is about paperwork. That's it. So, you know, after that, that kind of, that'll piss you off. But, uh, um, how are you treated in uh, this question? The the detention facility or whatever you want to call it when you are deported, how are you treated? Well, they they take your clothes and they give you like an orange jumpsuit. says foreigner on the back the way gook and you in korean it says it 
and uh, you're put in an orange cell, a giant one with like six other people that are being deported too. And everybody's scared shitless. Me, I was pissed. I was pissed off. Uh, I was really indignant. But there are some people there who had their, they were picked up at work, for instance, right? They were picked up at work so they get nothing. For me, the guys who picked me up, I was so charming with them that they let me go back to my apartment and get my computer or else all the music, everything that I've ever created would be lost in an instant. And that, I just thank God that that's not what happened to me. But I saw some people in there who, who lost their wives and kids just stripped right out of the country, just thrown into a cell. And they're scared. People aren't violent in this situation. They're confused. You, I, I, I never saw the amount of, of fear that I saw when I was in this situation. And it sticks with you when you see a facial expression like that. You don't, you don't forget it. So you go from Korea. Where, where are you heading after that? After they told you, get the fuck out, Mike. Time to go. <laughs> <laughs> get the fuck out, Mike. So after they told me to get the fuck out, I went home. And I got to see you guys, and that was fun. And uh, I immediately started preparing my paperwork to go to China. I wanted to see what it's like behind the Great Wall, the mystery, the mystery country. And, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's still a mystery. What, what, um, what are your first, what are your first <laughs> things you encounter in China that are, like, off the wall? Okay, so... Let me let me shake off this thing about uh, the portion. Yeah. <laughs> you can feel me boiling with rage when I think about it, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like a palpable. Uh-uh. <laughs> it's nuts. But you know what? I I want to say something. Um, you know, if that if if I didn't go through all of that stuff, I wouldn't have the perspectives, the kind of compassion and the empathy that I have um, right now. And that kind of stuff, you can't you can't, can't learn that except through pain. Well, you can't learn to have that kind of compassion for people unless you're in pain yourself at some point. You know, going through something like that, like you're an artist, so you're constantly getting mixed into your work, right? Absolutely. Everything. Uh, I'm lucky in the sense that I've done music writing for, you know, I guess I've passed the 10,000 mark, 10,000 hour mark now. So anything that I can, anything that I feel, even if I don't know I'm feeling it, can finds a way out of my, out of my system through music. And that's, that's really, I'm really, really blessed and lucky. And if somebody told me that I was working so hard to have that experience, I wouldn't have believed them. You know, because when you start making music, it's to be cool. We keep hearing you saying that the 10,000 hour mark, you are kind of like a perfectionist that you think that you have. It seems to me that you think you have to do something for so long in order to master it. It's, am I am I picking up uh, what you're putting down? Yeah, yeah. You you know what you guys are right, Jimbo. You're absolutely right. I I do think that. I think that. Um, in order to be, if for me at least, I need to do something that amount of time and to be the perfect. Uh, the best self that I can be. It helps me to practice and work hard and to work for it and aim for goals and meet goals and set goals. That that experience refines my perspective and it, it disciplines me. And that's very important, I think, for a man is to have a sense of self-discipline. He's like a sensei, Mark. I'd go up to your place in Springville and you'd have like books laying out and you're like, yeah, I just have to practice. Or sometimes I'd talk to you and you'd be like, I'm just so exhausted from playing music or, you know, and it, it, it's, it's a weird thing <laughs> to have somebody say. But, you know, it shows when like, like I just told you, I mean, Billy Fulton, I, I, when I showed him it, he's like, man, Mike Ooh. just sounds so refined. It's like, it's like you're, you're really honing this craft. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and thank you for saying that. That's, that's beautiful. And you know what? That's, Bill's always like, no matter how much uh, somebody else practices, you could always tell somebody who feels it. That's what Billy would always say. And he said, I could always, you know, no, 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 uh, 
no modesty in this young man. <laughs> yeah. But you know that I'm sure. I mean, that was between Bill, Bill and I, and I, you know, actually, he is a really modest and and great thinker and a great feeler. And but he's right. Bill's just one of these guys that he feels music. It just kind of a little bit of practice for him goes a long way. So there are, sure. there are some people that are like that, and yeah, for me, I have to practice a lot. You can and I don't hear, mind. You could hear Mike cursing on SoundCloud. Uh, Mike, you're in China, and you fall in love. Yeah, I met the most beautiful girl I've ever seen, and uh, I got her to agree to marry me. <laughs> Congratulations, so, wow. Mike! Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, we met. Um, yeah, she's she's a great. It's great to be in love because it's so much fun. You know, we hear these stories about how being in love is is a process of sadness, and there's a lot of pain, and there's a lot of violent emotions inside of this. And you know what? They're that's partly correct, but nobody tells you. There aren't poems. There aren't enough poems about how fun it is to be in love, how much fun you can have with somebody, how much laughter, how much joy, how much ridiculous, chaotic uh, excitement there is in it. And, and it's really fun to have, have somebody who is looking out for you and who wants you to be happy. And it is really fun and pleasing to care about somebody and care about their well-being and try to make their life easier. It makes you a better person to try to make somebody else's life easier for them. Well, that's what we're that's what we're trying to do here in L two T. Yeah, man. You know, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we talked a little bit about um how like you know we're we're always having a challenge with the show getting people to interact. You know, and you know we, right. Yeah, we put a lot of time into finding guests, sitting down with guests for hours, as you can see. Um, and then editing and adding new music and trying to find something that, you know, you wouldn't find anywhere else, you know, than with us. Like, that's right. But like, so yeah. cre creating an album and like putting all the work in, you were talking about how you, you're like making an album is fun and then the work starts. So talk about that a little bit. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's really the, the, the issue, right. Is, is getting people to hear what you make and uh, finding a way to do that. And I, when, when you're young, you kind of structure your entire personality around being a, a, being a personality that will draw people to you rather than push them away. Uh, and as an artist, I think a lot of artists spend that time crafting the persona that they feel best brings people to them, best appeals to people. And so in a way, their entire personality becomes one of their artistic creations. Uh, and it's, it's not a joke, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, um, just being creative and just making the music is so wonderful, but then you also have to figure out how to get people to take time from everything else that they're doing to make this a part of their day. And that's, that's the real, that's the actual work because writing the music is, is the, is fun. Recording the music is amazing. You know, that's, that's a thrill ride. We hear that you are in studio making a new album now. How is that different in China other than the States? Um, well, I, I recorded in the States. I recorded in Korea, and now I'm recording here. And I guess in China, it's kind of like, a, it's not really that different. You know, studio nerds, they're all the guys <laughs> who run studios. They're the, they're the greatest people in the world. They're the most beautiful nerds you ever gonna find in your life and uh, they're all you know they're all these people who see the music you know when when they're when they're mixing the album they're they're looking at the shape of that guitar line they're looking how that that fits in placement and audio visual space but uh what are your favorite venues over there uh in china what where do you like playing what, yeah what's it what's it even like playing out in a show in china yeah well um i've I've only played one and I played at this, at this, uh, and it was, I was kind of, it was my friend's, um, surprise party and they kind of just pushed me on stage, but I took a break from performing for a little while. Um, but playing in China, it's, it's kind of like, uh, 
You know, honestly, it felt like easy pickings. Does everybody people, speak English? People work themselves to the... Is English big time? No. No? Well, everybody learns... Everybody takes English in school, but um, very rarely do people speak it. But uh, it, when, I, when I played, it felt like I was playing for people who don't get to see a lot of live music. And so that was really fun because they were, everybody was really appreciative. There isn't a lot of live music here in China. Uh, in, in this city, people generally work, 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 work. The median income here is about between 3,500 and 5,000 RMB a month, which is, I, I don't even know how they survive because that is, um, that's very little money. And they work very hard to get that little amount of money. So they don't really have time. People don't really go out. Chinese people don't stay out late. You know, at, at the bars, uh, after about midnight, it's, it's all foreigners. Wow. So, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a different culture. Yeah, talk about the culture over there. And I, I've heard that Chinese stars, that are, they film each other doing uh normal day-to-day activities and they're 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 like stars about it is this real yeah that's totally real people are are people film themselves doing uh basically anything that they would do during the day some people film themselves studying uh some people film themselves you know brushing their teeth a big one is eating and they get uh people 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 watch them and then there's a kind of app, a Chinese app that allows people to do this and then send these people uh, that, that they are watching, send them little gifts, little bits of money. And actually, people make a lot of money doing this. Maybe we should so get, that's, get going in China, Marky. Yeah. We need, get film, we, need, we need to get an audience. Yeah. Film me waiting in line well, at Wegmans. That'll, <laughs> that, <laughs> that's entertaining. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A Chinese person, I mean, I they asked me to... Chinese people are so I don't I don't mean to say these broad sweeping things like Chinese people but where I live in China I've had a lot of people ask me about what my day-to-day life was like in the United States. For instance, what is it like to go grocery shopping in the United States? I get asked this all the time. Really? Isn't that a bizarre question? Yeah. So when you said this thing about Wegmans is people would want that <laughs> oh marky because there, there is a lot we're, we're gonna be big and where yeah. the hell do you live mike what is it called let me see if i could say is ching ching dao ching dao ching dao that's right yeah yeah but yeah. brushing up ching a little dao. bit <laughs> <laughs> that's right your mandarin is beautiful jim oh it's coming along now speaking of that you ever any run-ins with the triads those Ooh. those are the those are the heavy uh, hitters over in China, right? The 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 triad mafia. Well, here the thing is here is everything. One thing that I was really impressed upon me to learn was that everything is about personal relationships here. So for me, uh, one thing that was necessary to my survival was for me to develop a personal relationship with the deputy sheriff uh, equivalent of my district okay. and once you have this kind of relationship you're pretty safe but other than that if you don't have a personal a, a network of personal relationships it's a very easy place to get exploited when you're a foreigner you it's very important when you go out into the world to meet the right people and to make it a professional uh, part of your life to develop um, relationships that you can count on. I'll tell you what, Mark. It sounds like China is a little glad handy. Yeah, a little. The glad handers have a field day in China. It sounds yeah. like. Do you uh, do you get any of our local? <laughs> I mean, we're not a political show, but do you hear a lot of our like political things there? Is the media always on the United States, or is it, you know, just basically? Well, is their media the same as ours? Well, the media here is all controlled and run by the state in an obvious way, like outright. So um, everything is is the same. It's all along the party line, right? The Communist Party line. So that's so everything that I that we hear about, about the United States right now has to do with the 
uh, trade disagreement. Um, and there is a lot of escalated uh, language, that language that's like gets p people to feel um, a certain way, you know, an aggressive way. Well, and that's that's dangerous. That's dangerous. That's dangerous when you when you start revving the engines of a billion people. Are you getting that's any? Not a, uh, that's not you, wise. Are you getting any cold shoulders for being an American? And you got to tell them, like, I might be um, American, guys, but I'm from South Buffalo. It's a, it's a different world. So <laughs> right, yeah. I, I, bear with me here. That's Let right. me explain. Have you been getting the cold shoulder at all? Uh, well, uh, so one thing that was surprising to me is, so, you know, my girlfriend is Chinese. Um, I've been actually attacked multiple times just for being a white American. You, you said you're scammed on the taxi the other day. Yeah, yeah, I was dressed well. I went to a I went to a jazz show, and anytime there's like a really cool show, I try to get out and see because there isn't a lot of performance art uh, in this city. So it's a beautiful city, and it's one of the most beautiful cities in China. Um, but like I said, a lot of everybody's working. Got the guy took me to the police station and told the police that I owed him this amount of money. And I was like, hell no, I'm not paying this motherfucker. He's obviously trying to get my money because I'm a foreigner. I'm tired of dealing with this racist bullshit. And, you know, you would think that's not the appropriate way to talk in a police station. But you learn very quickly here that that's how you have to approach situations. And know your mind and speak it clearly. Or else you will get bowled over. Wow. So you, you just said that. Yeah, so then the cops were like, I'm sorry. They apologized to me and they let me go. What What's the plan for Mike Ersing? Are you going to stay in China or are we looking mm. to go somewhere else? Are you going to bring your your, uh, your fiance back to the states to visit? What, what's going on? Yeah, I want to. I want to bring that. That's a good question. Uh, people ask. I I think I will live in Qingdao for at least two more years. I have a really good job. Uh, I teach novel writing to young kids wow. and um actually one one of my my student my first student just finished his first novel so that's going to a magazine they're going to publish it like a serial chapter at a time wow and so i'm immensely proud yeah i'm immensely proud of this kid he's 11 and uh and, and yeah he, he's a, he's a, he's an 11 year old published author now jesus so how how cool is that how that's super cool, cool is that right we really love promoting yeah, it's, it's how a, uh, how people are doing that are from this area and kind of like, uh, where are they now? And that's good to hear you influencing and pushing people forward and somebody being successful on it already at the age of 11. It's, that's good to hear. Yeah. 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 He's a special kid. And, uh, yeah, for me, I will stay here at least two more years. I love the city is very beautiful. I love the seaside. I love the coast. There's a lot of, um, idiosyncratic, behavior behavioral norms that are hilarious and fascinating and uh at least two more years then gloria will menying lee will graduate from uh, beijing foreign studies university and we will decide she will try to get an embassy job so most likely she will get a position somewhere in central america and if that happens then i will also move there with her wow well, bringing so bringing your fiance back to the states when she does visit, how would you prepare her for the wrath of South Buffalo when you get back here? What? How would you prepare her for for that? Um. <laughs> well, you know, Chinese guys in this area, they're really like big, heavy, burping, spitting, um, <laughs> loud, drunken. Lunatic. So South Buffalo is going to, she's going to love the warmth. I think she's going to fall in love with all my friends and she's going to love the warmth and the dignity and the uh, hospitality of South Buffalo. And that's one thing that I miss. Um, the, the kind of special hospitality that just pours out of people that, that live in South Buffalo. And Mark, you know, I was talking to you about this, that like, I, I love listening to your show uh, especially Jim, you, you treat people with such, both of you guys treat your guests with such respect. 
And it's a special kind of South Buffalo style respect that makes you feel like you're home. Yeah. And, and I love listening to it. I listen to it and I feel like I'm home. That's awesome. So I think when she, yeah, when she, when she encounters this, she's not going to want to leave. That's she's good got, to hear. That's a she's going to say, let's move here. Thank you, Mike. That's a very good comment. Yeah, I'm glad you, you listen. Thanks for listening. An, <laughs> while you're walking around, Mike, why don't you grab a guitar? Sure. Um, also, I don't know how, 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 if you want to get into it, but you had a very personal relationship with Carl Palladino, and you've always only said very nice things about him and sweet things, and, and it's something that, like, you know, I, I always thought was really good because, you know, you always hear too much, you know, things through the news and everything. Yeah, I mean, uh, Carl's, Carl's, in every way, in every way that I know him personally, every way that I've interacted with him, he's been an incredible, um, kind, honest man. I remember when I was 15, I worked for this incredible man named Mirko Symbolic. He, he was part of Carl's Elka Development Company. And he was an engineer. He spoke five languages. He was Croatian. And I learned so much from this guy. Wow. And, uh, you know, I, I, it was, it was, he was incredible. And another guy from the same conflict, a Bosnian guy named Dragon. <laughs> and these guys, these, guys, these guys wouldn't even be able to get into the country now. If the situation were the, repeated, they wouldn't be able to get in the country. And if they did, who would hire them? They're, they're soldiers forced into soldiering by a contense and violent political conflict. Where else? Who else would hire them? You know, who, would, who hires these kinds of guys, let alone at, a, at, a, at an engineer's rate? You know, these guys were paid well. And Carl paid all of his employees well. I was 15. And I was making ten dollars an hour, and, and at that time, um, that was like amazing to me. You know, everybody, everybody that would hire me, even after college, they wanted to pay me like seven or six dollars an hour. You know, I remember at that time, minimum wage was five sixty-five, and to get paid ten dollars an hour too, it makes you want to work hard. And everybody that worked for him worked very hard. And uh, I have nothing but good, good things to say about Carl, and I don't really understand people's attitude if they don't if they if they don't have a good attitude about him it's be, simply because they're either misinformed or they are uh just they're just misinformed that's it if they have a bad attitude <laughs> about him they're just misinformed that's it that's... we would love the license to so talk, i don't uh... yeah we'd love to have him on yeah love to have carl on we're well, still he... hunting that one down he, he can be a tough one but we're determined mark yeah, he's a great. I, f I always felt like he was a great symbol of Buffalo. You know, he's a businessman. You know, People yeah, hard working business. Yeah. yeah, hard working. Well, speaking yeah. of hard hard work, uh, speaking of hard work, Mike, you're you're Oops. gonna uh, you're gonna play play us out, and uh, it's good to hear you're you're spe spreading the positivity of South Buffalo over in the Far East. And uh, Mike Ersing, you are now licensed to talk. Thank you, brother. I can't take maintain Stepping closer as the questions resolved without You're not gonna yell at me in my own house To develop false camaraderie is a guise for power exchange If you've been dreaming of a different kind of love that doesn't fuck you up, that doesn't run cold when you get distracted by the part of you you wish you, you didn't turn into. Ooh. Nightingale shadow caught in the snow, blade of Sunlight penetrates to let it go. Black trees on stock, white. Melody in pictures against my feeling. Have you been dreaming of a different kind of love? 
that doesn't fuck you up, that doesn't run cold when you get distracted by the part of you you wish you didn't turn into. This is Ben, Licensed to Talk. Find our most recent episode on our website at www.jcisl2t.com.